seeding is one thing that is so much easier with no-dig because when you don't disturb the soil, it doesn't respond with weeds. You know what? If you think about a lot of these problems we have, um, in the case of weeds, it, for me it's about, I, I can see how when you disturb the soil, you get a lot more weeds, just like night and follows day. So it, leaving it alone, you, you'll just be amazed. If you haven't tried it already, you know, not disturbing, you just get so much less weed growth, mainly the annuals like chickweed, goose, goose grass. That was Charles Dowding, who joins us on the podcast today. Uh, he is the, really the pioneer for no-dig gardening. Really great to have him on the podcast, and I'm all for anything that makes gardening easier. Uh, we're all really busy, so it's fantastic to talk to him about that. Um, we're in the middle of Hampton Court as we speak, where our stand has been judged. We're lucky enough to win our fourth Silver Gilt of the Year, and, and Hampton Court for us this year is, is our last show, um, so hopefully you've managed to catch up with us a uh, show. If not, uh, I'm sure we'll be back next year. And as you know, I like to bring the intro for the podcast from the nursery. I'm standing in our chilly house. It's very, very hot today. Um, I think it's about 26 outside, but it's got to be 32, 33 inside at the very least, and the chilies are absolutely loving it. This is the house where we will collect all the seed for for next year. Uh, so I'm looking at, we haven't quite finished all the all the big planting of the, the seed chilies, but I'm looking at around about 100 to 130 plants of 30 varieties, um, six of each we tend to grow, some that produce less fruit um, we will grow a few more of, um, and we also do a little bit of braiding in here as well. Um, so we separate them, we put mosquito netting over the top of all the chilies to stop things cross-pollinating where we don't want them to, um, and we're going to have a play with some cross-pollination by insects this year. Um, probably, we've looked into it a little bit, probably by blue bottles, um, but we will definitely be making a video on that and we'll do a series of how we get on with that because I, I have no idea how that's going to work. Um, another video to look out for as well, and Olivia, who, who edits the podcasts and all of our guests have some contact with Olivia at some point before we, we have a chat. She does a lot of our social media. You would have seen lots of her stuff online that she does. She works with us. And um, she suggested we do a video on what happens to all our show plants when they come back. Um, so when we get back from Hampton Court, we'll do a video on that as well because it's, um, it's quite interesting. Um, we, uh, we obviously keep, generally speaking, keep all of our plants. We we normally don't partake in the sell-off because a lot of them are, are specimen plants that we use for cuttings or seeds and things like that. Um, so, yeah, we'll bring that um, video on YouTube. And if you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, make sure you check that out as well. Um, so, yeah, Charles Downding, brilliant podcast. Um, so without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them, with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Thank you, Alan. That's a pleasure. Really nice of you to join us. So tell our listeners uh, what's about you. <laughs> well, I'm a, I've been gardening since I left university, mainly because I got interested in nutrition. This is 1981. And I um, wanted to, I grew up on a farm, dairy farm near here in Somerset. And I wanted to find out how to grow healthy food and sell it. 
to make it more available because back in the 1980s, the early 80s, organic was pretty unheard of. It was slightly revolutionary, really, a bit left field and all that. So, um, you know, that that in itself was a challenge, that, and that was what I wanted to do. Excellent. And you you had in mind of setting up a garden centre or a nursery eventually. How what were you thinking at that time? No, my my aim was to sell food to be to be a market garden basically. And I started with one and a half acres, and I I actually borrowed the farm rotavator tractor, rotavated old pasture, and then made it into raised beds, not sided beds, but just um, raised soil. And that was what led me to no dig because I then thought, hang on a minute, how am I going to maintain my beds if I do any soil cultivations? Uh, I know you can get bed makers and that kind of thing. I didn't really want to do that. So I just thought, well, I'll leave the soil. And I I discovered a lady in America who'd written a book called No Work Gardening. So it's like that sounded exciting. And um, (laughs) she was marching with hay uh, on top because I'd also been doing some homework on organic market gardening and discovered that the biggest problem was weeds. None of those growers, I felt, were really on top of their weeds. So uh, I thought, right, we've got to... Um, mulching could be the answer for that. So I, I, I actually bought some old hay and did hay mulching. And then what I hadn't ex- expected, because I didn't know much about gardening really at that time, you know, I was going in pretty cold, uh, was slugs. Terrible slug problem. Everything got eaten. And I went back to the book by Ruth Stout and... She didn't mention slugs. Hang on a minute. <laughs> There's something missing here. And it was because she's in a continental climate, I realised. Connecticut, like dry, hot summers, cold winters, no slugs. So then I realised it was about adapting the actual technique. The principle's good, no dig. No dig really works. There's just sim- simply no doubt about that. It's actually how you do it. And um, I moved towards compost mulching. So I actually started buying mushroom compost as well as making my own. And that was my work through the 80s. And I, So I was doing no dig for a long time before I'd really said much about it, because in the 80s, all the interest was in organic, for example. And taking it back very slightly, is no dig as simple as it sounds, as in literally no dinking? <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, yeah, in a way it is. And, and I often start, when I'm doing courses here, like we do day courses, and I, I say, you know what, it's basically about not disturbing the soil. So you're leaving all that actively working soil life which is working on our behalves all all the time you're leaving it alone and just letting it get on with it so you know that's like the no work part um but then you do need to feed the feed that soil life so that's where the mulches come in the mulches of organic matter and then it's about understanding which mulch to use or what's appropriate for what situation like for example if you're planting trees or shrubs like this of the sort you're selling a lot um the mulch doesn't have to be perfect compost or anything, really, because you're not so worried about slugs. It, it can be, it could be old hay or <laughs> any organic matter sitting on the surface, um, which the soil organisms then come and eat, because that's what they do. They feed at the surface. They, they're not used to stuff being dug in, and that disrupts their home anyway. So you're just leaving them. It's just working out what's appropriate mulch and, and keeping the weeds down. Um, weeding is one thing that is so much easier with no dig, because when you don't disturb the soil, it doesn't respond with weeds. You know what? If you think about a lot of these problems we have, um, in the case of weeds, it, for me, it's about I, I can see how when you disturb the soil, you get a lot more weeds. It's like night and follows day. So, it, leaving it alone, you, you'll just be amazed if you haven't tried it already. You know, 
not disturbing you just get so much less weed growth mainly the annuals like chickweed goose goose grass um, but perennials too if you try and dig them all out and chop up the roots you know apart from the the old soil that there's always one you miss kind of thing but it's more that you've disturbed the soil and made it need to grow those weeds back <clears throat> so cooch grass here for example i've got rid of in a year completely with mm -hmm. thorough mulching and that, that is the tricky bit you know the easy bit is uh, leaving it alone but thorough mulching from the beginning just to get rid of particularly perennial weeds and then you after that it's you know so much time saved and easier interesting and would you say it's more attractive to people who come from maybe not a gardening background well yeah that's an interesting comment i, I would say yes because it <clears throat> it gives them a really easy entry to gardening and i get a lot of feedback along these lines and, and just people love it and People who haven't done much gardening before find it easier actually to accept these um, ideas or approaches which for, for people who've got a lot of it gardening experience they've got to unlearn a bit really to be honest and, and they you know fair enough but it can, I can see how that could be a bit difficult um, but, but forget some of the stuff you've been told um, you know just to give you one example would be in uh, particularly vegetable gardening with, with raised beds or beds of any kind <clears throat> it's nearly always said well you must never walk on your beds and actually you can because you haven't disturbed the soil it's got a firm structure it's not loose in the sense of how it's been dug or spaded or whatever rotivated it's not loose like that but plants don't need that not in my experience here they're, they're happier with firm soil that you can walk on if you need to but underneath it it, it is all open because of all that soil life maintaining that structure aeration good drainage and so on mm. And I suppose um, an open structure in soil rather than firm structure isn't something that naturally exists. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> that's an interesting use of words there, open, because, you know, you could almost call it open with no dig. But, but this is where I think the misunderstandings happen, because maybe we're talking, you know, using these words to describe things that are not the same as what the other person is understanding. I do find in gardening so many misunderstandings, and uh, which lead people down a blind alley, basically. And yeah like you say <clears throat> open or however you whatever word you use um open is good but you don't need to physically <laughs> cultivate soil to, to achieve that you can encourage soil life to do it and they the, the 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 tilth the openness the the aeration however you describe it is maintained much more stably and in a long-term basis by soil life than we can do with tools you know that's it really Interesting. And when you're getting into no guard, uh, no dig gardening, sorry, is it is the plants that are well suited to it for beginners? Uh, well, I mean, I would say any plant actually, because um, are you asking actually, are there some plants particularly more than others? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Any. It, it's it's about because <clears throat> when you get the soil right, you you can grow anything, and and that's one. That's another strand of my teaching, actually, is I'm, I'm always looking to simplify things. And, and I reckon it's been overcomplicated. You know, a lot, a lot of gardening advice, um, I think, makes it sound more difficult than it needs to be. Because when you get the soil really healthy, fertile and buzzing with uh, active soil life that you know really wants to get involved, um, anything will grow, really. And so I, I don't treat soil differently, whether I'm going to grow potatoes or um plant lettuce or snapdragons or plant a shrub my, my approach is the same i want to kill the weeds with a mulch um surface mulching particularly 
you know, if, if it's perennial weeds, really paying attention in year one to that. But you can do that while you've got plants in the ground, and, and then it's about feeding the soil. That, that, that's it, and I pretty much put the same amount of compost on whatever I'm going to grow. Um, maybe a bit less for flowers, a bit more for veg, because often with veg you're double cropping in a year, that kind of thing. I'll put on one application of compost, usually in the winter, because that's the time when I've got time, and then that soil fertility bed preparation taken care of for the whole year. Yeah, so you're not messing around in summer thinking oh, I've got to feed this or that or whatever it might be. It's it's ready any time for sowing and planting and re-sowing and replanting. Mm. And it's um it's a system that is quite well known to gardeners. Has it become well known for commercial growers? Yeah, well, it's uh, slight hesitation on my part because it's it needs a bit of adapting and working out. Um, one key understanding I think is that. Contrary to popular belief, no dig for vegetables particularly doesn't actually need more compost than digging. The reason one is using more compost often is is for higher intensity of cropping. <clears throat> yeah, it's like if you've got an area of no dig ground, um, you want to keep it in crop all the time because if you don't, the fertility is going to go down. It will gradually go back. Um, whereas I've noticed when people are cropping with machines, say. They're not cropping as intensively. It's very easy to, say, plough 10 acres, 4 hectares, and, and then just, um, you know, you crop a bit here and there. And, and, but you're not often not doing, they're not often not doing a second planting once the first one finished and let the weeds grow, whatever, because it's then easy to replough or whatever you're doing to get it back to bare soil. So it goes with a different attitude. And, and the, the output, for example, from my plot of ground here, a quarter of an acre, 1,000 square metres, we're selling over £20,000 worth of vegetables a year. So there's a lot of food coming off a small area. So when you scale up, you, you do need to bear that one in mind, that you basically don't need so much ground. Uh, there's a guy called Jake Etheridge up Oxton Organics near Worcestershire, who's, um, I think he's on about an acre now. And he's scaled down from two acres when they were using tractors, um, he said they're producing as much on one acre now and no dig as they were on two acres with a tractor. So, you know, there's all those things to bear in mind. When I started out in the 80s, I was actually cropping seven and a half acres, <coughs> raised beds, no dig. And um, that's a bit more difficult now because vegetables generally are generally a bit lower value in retail terms. But yes, you can scale up. It just needs carefully working out. And you're obviously still selling the um, the fruit and veg and things like that. Um, is that what takes up most of your time these days? <laughs> yeah, well, um, this is getting more into what my personal situation, which has become, yeah, a bit of both actually. So I'm still cropping, but I'm I'm using more labour. I'm employing one full time person now, which is the first time this year, in fact, and. Um, then that, that means I, it frees me up because I'm finding huge demand, uh, which is fantastic for um, for understanding about, about no dig. No dig is really catching on there, and, and more and more people are trying it. They're then telling their friends, their friends are trying it, and, and they're finding it works. So it's a bit of a snowball effect going outwards. Um, and, and I keep getting asked to give talks or courses um, around the country, and, and I very much enjoy doing that. It's, it's partly a question of working out travel, and the travel time is always um, a bit annoying. Uh, and even international, I'm doing quite a lot of work in Ireland, actually. I really enjoy going over there. Really keen people, keen gardeners, and they're really in for no dig. Uh, I don't know if it's because it perhaps fits with the old tradition of lazy beds for potatoes or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I find a really keen demand there. And then I've 
we do day courses here, so that's always a lovely way to teach because I can show people um, exactly what's happening. I can illustrate what I'm teaching with the examples. And people who I think are often a bit blown away by the lack of weeds, among other things, yeah, we really do very little weeding because once you've got the ground clean in year one of perennial weeds, the annual weeds is a couple of weed strikes with a hoe in the early spring and, and then it's just spot weeding after that. When you're out and about, they're not really special weeding. And I've also created an online course. I'm doing quite a bit of writing. I do write for magazines and mm. um, whether I do another book, I'll see if I can find time. I would like to actually, but... At the moment, or last winter, I put my energy into creating an online course in no-dig gardening, specifically. Not so much an A to Z of growing vegetables, just, just about no-dig and really getting all the understandings across of how it works, why it works, and the benefits you will accrue with some examples from my garden of cropping plants and that kind of thing. And that, that was a bit nerve-wracking, putting that for sale on the 28th <laughs> of February, because I just had no idea, you know, like, I spent three months and more actually you know assembling all this information and putting it together and we made quizzes and everything and um will it will people like it and actually i'm happy to say they have a week of the nice feedback and it's selling steadily so that's Brilliant. been worthwhile too and i also do a lot of social media so uh, that also takes time uh, what, what i'm on a bit of a mission i guess you know i really feel there's something very worthwhile here uh, and the feedback I'm getting suggests it's, it, it's, it's definitely is worth carrying on promoting it and, and helping people to understand better what they're doing in their gardens. You know, I think there's a general beneficial effect to horticulture here because <clears throat> if, if, when, when people are, are in control of what they're doing and you know not being overwhelmed by weeds, which you see so much on allotments after the initial dig, great enthusiasm, mm. <laughs> and then they lose it. Um, when people feel in, in, in command, in control, then, then they're, they're going to stay with it and, and develop their gardening practice. So, you know, from, that's another way I feel no-dig is, is, is really, really worth um, promoting and, and helping people to understand. Yeah, definitely. And if people wanted to start getting into it, obviously the course sounds like a great way of doing it. Um, plus you've got books and your writings and stuff like that. But if they wanted to get into it, do they have to say put the whole garden down to no dig or can they do a little plot? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, I'm always saying, you know, start small and um, yeah, get to, get to know it. The, you you know, you don't have to spend any money even on, on learning. There's a lot of information on my website and there's one button at the top which is start no dig and it's just a few pages of, of, of explaining possible processes. There's no one way that is the best way. There are many possible ways of doing no dig and they don't all involve huge amounts of compost. Some do, some don't. Black polythene or cardboard, you know, all those options for killing weeds. And then, yeah, have a go. Make one small area. Make even one bed. I mean, just to give you an example, um, four by eight, pretty standard size beds, four foot by eight foot, 1.2 mm -hmm. meters by 2.4 meters. In my garden here, I'm taking, say, 20, 30 kilos of veg off a bed that size over a year. You might not get quite so much in your first year, but you might be surprised how much you can harvest from a small area. So, you know, that initial investment in compost might seem a lot, but you'll get it back and more and, and have a go. Interesting. Um, and is there a bit of a challenge with having part of a garden down to it um, with regards to weeds blowing over and things like that? Yeah, well, that's it exactly. Um, that relates to something I'm often talking about, which is edges, the dreaded edges. And like, in my garden here, for example, where I've got the main vegetable area is quite a nice square, which is good because that, that means bigger middle and less proportion of edge. But 
even so, it's surprising how often we, we go around about every three or four weeks with long handle shears actually to cut the grass and stop it spreading in as it always does. And um, yeah, you really want to watch what's going on around your um, cropped areas. So I'd recommend either having, uh, well, between beds actually, have bare paths. This is something else I'm really championing because I've noticed how if you have people who have wooden sides, they kind of sacrifice that path area rather, <clears throat> don't look on it as part of the growing space. They're just walking on it. And, and quite often it will be weeds or even horror, they might put gravel down. And uh, for me as a vegetable grower, the gravel is not where it's at, you know, it's like there's no fertility there. Um, it actually doesn't really solve many weed problems because weeds will grow through it in the end. And okay, maybe then you get around that by putting a membrane under the gravel. That, and in my opinion, that's even worse because I've seen situations where that membrane then disappears into the soil because you only need a few bits of soil and stuff landing on top and then a few worm casts and, and whatever it might be. And before you know, it's, it's gone out of sight. So I'd urge anyone not to use membrane for paths or anywhere actually. Um, occasional black polythene just as a one-off and cardboard but once you're on top of the weeds you don't need any of that stuff and the paths you can have especially if you don't have wooden sides you can have just bare paths no weeds and that is you know, it's actually easier than you might think when you give it a go again that's why try one path see how it works and the advantage of a, a bare path is but with a bit of compost on top maybe a bit of wood as well because that's feeding soil life again it always comes back to that you feed soil life that maintains the structure so even your path has decent soil even though you're walking on it you know that doesn't obliterate the soil structure that because that, you've got a bit of organic matter on the surface that's good and what we noticed last summer was when it's very dry and then we were doing new plantings in late july august the second wave of plantings after harvesting peas and broad beans and things the soil was really dry we um, were watering these new plantings and thought we were, well, I'm sure we were watering evenly over the bed, but it was all the time the plants on the edge of the beds were growing bigger than the ones in the middle. And I worked out, then you know, it was rain. We were having some nice showers last August, very welcome rain. And mm. the edge plants could feed into the moisture in the paths. You know, that's if you like, lift up the wood a bit, the the thin mulch of wood chips and you can see all the plant roots on the surface so that was a nice example of how valuable path soil can be in your growing not just dead soil that you walk on so just mm -hmm. looking at the whole garden um very much so even if you are only doing say one bit one bit no dig um yeah just just gain your awareness all the time about what's going on all around and um yeah you will enjoy it more interesting yeah does this fit with what you've observed? I know, have you tried anything like this in, in your garden or are you just raising plants, you full-time nursery? Uh, we're a full-time nursery um, and I have to say I haven't tried no dig, um, certainly not on purpose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's an interesting comment too because if you, you know, say you do it by neglect, which is basically what you're implying in a way, is hmm. you, you just build on that. As long as you've got no weeds, or it is as simple as feeding the soil on the surface with compost of any kind compost by the way can be anything decomposed you know it doesn't have to be perfect compost from a sack it could be well rotted horse or cow manure or, or sheep or pig whatever the manure might be um, preferably with straw bedding rather than wood but even wood because it's on the surface that can work and um or it could be leaf mold it could be mushroom compost compost you buy whatever and you are just planting into that and the plants then rooting into the undisturbed soil below and a nice example of that is, uh, as I look out of my window here, I can see some very tall 
plants of purple sprouting broccoli. This happens to be April, in fact. And um, it's illustrating the point of how well they are rooting into the ground because these plants are, <clears throat> gosh, they're a good 1.5 metre, 5 feet high now. Oh, really? So I haven't supported them. We've had a lot of wind. We had, <laughs> yeah, well, the winter gales and the watch ones in early March particularly. In fact, we had a 65 mile an hour gust here. And yet those plants stood it. And that illustrates like how well they've rooted into the undisturbed, therefore firm, but also open soil below. Hmm. And I think you made a very interesting point with regards to is it easier for people to get into it who maybe don't come from horticulture. Actually, where my house is, is where my granddad's vegetable plot used to be. Um, we're a nursery that goes back quite a few generations. And I can still picture him in the garden, digging, forking everything over. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's. I think for me, you naturally follow. He, the potatoes were fantastic. You naturally follow that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think quite a lot of that practice comes from Victorian times when, well, people didn't really understand about um, soil life so much, to be honest. You know, I know we revere the Victorians, but there, there were certain things they clearly didn't understand. And that modern knowledge about soil life is just brilliant because it's it's revealing that actually the, the, the basic common sense of using this approach. And not only that, but you're keeping carbon in the soil. When you till, fork, cultivate in any way, you are releasing carbon from the soil. That's carbon dioxide, climate change. So, you know, in, in a very modern way, no dig is, no, or no-till farming is equivalent, is, is really tackling an important issue like that. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and a few questions we always ask people, some regular questions we always ask. When you first started getting into maybe gardening or, or maybe even the no-dig, was there a particular book or person who really spurred you on and inspired you? Um, yeah, with not too many, actually, because a lot of it I seem to be working out as I went along. But this lady, Ruth Stout, certainly encouraged me to understand that no-dig is viable. And the, the other source of um, information I found useful, it wouldn't be available to generally, sadly, um, was the early Soil Association journals. I was a member of the Soil Association from 1981. And the uh, 1950s publications that they produced... Uh, which a friend of mine had some old journals, so that's where I got hold of them. But mm. They did talk about no dig, and in the 1940s and 50s, no dig was was being practiced, not in a big scale, but it was it was out there, and you could see from the way these people were describing that that it really worked. And then, of course, you think, well, why didn't it catch on? You know, I've always mm. been in the back of my mind, well, what's the catch? Why yeah, why hasn't this caught on? Because the the big the big thing about it is time saving, and especially nowadays, you know, surely that's something that's going to appeal to most people, and and I honestly can't see a catch. You know, it's just about getting it right and, and understanding a bit about the basics and off you go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, in the industry, there's been a bit of a decline in seed sales and, and more plants are sold. And that would suggest time saving is is on people's mind. Very much so. Yeah, I don't think I think anyone would agree with that one. And, and, and so, you know, this is another thing that bearing up, up what I was saying earlier, getting more people into gardening, because if... If, if they can find methods that save their time, they're, they're going to stick with it more. Mm. Yeah. And when you're walking around your plot doing a bit of gardening and things like that, and it's an interesting question specifically for you, is there a bit of tool or equipment that you, you always have with you? <laughs> well, funny. Well, enough, it would be a bucket. Um, I rarely go in my garden, particularly when we're harvesting, but actually just walking around without what I call a compost bucket. So any weed I see... Uh, or it might be a slug or 
Um, another one is actually tidying plants. So say I'm walking past some Brussels sprouts and as they grow up, the lower leaves start to go pale yellow and fall down if you let them. I'll, I'll remove any old leaves decaying off plants before they fall on the ground. So I'm keeping the garden really tidy and that's one big method for keeping on top of slugs, basically not giving slugs food or habitat. Mm. And I don't use any slug pellets. Um, you know, I, I am organic, and, except I'm not certified because I don't need to be, but um, I'm very much working along those lines. So the, the compost bucket is is my key um, ally when I'm out in the garden. Interesting. Um, and something, you've obviously been very successful, uh, but it sounds like there's been a bit of trial and error along the way. Is there a particular failure that really you remember? Ah, uh, yeah, God. Um, it was sowing a half acre of carrots, in 1987 there was a shortage of organic carrots and I had, a, had access to, to a piece of ground which had been wheat the year before it was organic certified and it, it wasn't in beds or anything and I thought I'll just get a contractor to um, drill some carrots there I rotivated it with the farm rotivator he drilled the carrots and um, so a whole half acre of carrots and then as they came up so did the chickweed and we hoed it yeah. And the weather stayed damp, unfortunately, so the chickweed didn't really die, as it doesn't if it's damp weather, and it grew again, so we hoed again. It took quite a long time, and the chickweed carried on growing. We hoed a third time, and I was beginning to wonder by this time, and I did not harvest a single carrot from that half acre of sowing um, because of the chickweed. It just smothered the carrots, and that really taught me uh, the, you know, about the link between cultivation and weeds and, and how... I need to really get hold of that one and, and make sure to be successful growing gardening, you do really need to be on top of the weeds and not only that, it does make life a lot more pleasant. Yeah, definitely. And actually, even if it's not just from a um, a visual point of view where you're picking, from a, an ornamental point of view, weeds don't look particularly nice. Yeah, well, I feel that. I mean, a few people try and justify them and say they're doing good for the soil, which, yeah, that might be a point. But the point about weeds is they don't respect boundaries and any annual weed, it won't be long before it seeds and you've got a hundred or well, a thousand others and perennial weeds also they're always spreading so yeah basically my approach to weeds is pretty much zero tolerance but that's easier than you think with no dig because then you just going back to my compost bucket that's why i'm always pulling weeds when i see little ones because i know that they're masters of disguise and that you know if i don't get them then i'll perhaps they'll grow and set seeds so just keep on it <laughs> yeah definitely um and it's been really interesting but where can people find out a bit more you've mentioned a few places where can people find more your information from you okay well um i guess my website would be the starting point so that's just my name charlesdowling.co.uk and then i'm on youtube so actually really popular channel that's racing away at the moment and lots of videos specifically about no dig but also a lot about growing vegetables of different types and one on flowers one in french even <laughs> so nice variety there then i'm on instagram at charles dowding is facebook um, i've up, actually i know i'm up to my friend limit on there um, but you can follow me there on twitter at charles dowding so social media generally and my website mainly then you can find books on my website and my online course is also available there it's 150 pound lifetime access and you get a certificate at the end charles dowding no dig gardening brilliant well thank you very much charles for joining us it's really nice of you thank you alan well it's been a pleasure chatting yeah it's been really interesting great thank you bye thank you for joining us on the plants and me podcast we'll be back soon if you can't get enough of all things plant related pop over to plants-uk.co.uk 
And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.